True Blue LA podcast. The Dodgers are 82 and 44 after going 3 and 3 last week and have an 18 and a half game lead on the NL West. Today we're going to talk about Hyunjin Ryu, Urias's suspension, Frank Howard sandwiches, and you, Eric, Stephen, have a rant on home runs, which I'm ex- not really I'm excited to make fun of you because you're a curmudgeon. Yeah, there's no question. Hello. I'm here to rant. <laughs> but before that, I need a CBPU I'm, I'm shortening it now. The Cody Bellinger pace update before we go to an ad. Wait, can we do merch? The CPBU shirts? Those yeah, will be sure. flying off the shelves, no question. Uh, uh, Cody Bellinger had a, a fun week. Uh, he uh, he is up over 40 home runs now. Um, he's up to 42. Uh, he's on pace for 54 home runs and 125 RBIs. And I have some more notes on him after the break. Kind of a weird week, right? Like we saw... A lot of what makes this Dodgers team great, a little bit of where our concerns are, and a lot of the Dodgers are kind of trying a bunch of stuff, and some of it's just not going to work. Right. Well, and also, yeah, like they were three and three. They they uh, they started off the week with like two blowout wins. So already you're like, okay, this is going to be a but crazy week. The inspiration then... for your home run rent later. They hit, I think, a hundred in the first yeah. Two games. Right, that's right. And uh, they actually out-homered their opponents on the week. Did you see my tweet about this or no? I did not. Okay, what would you guess the home run difference was between what they hit and what the opponents hit? Just give me give me a guess. 15. Six games. 15. That That's the gap? Yeah. You're close. Uh, the Dodgers hit 21 home runs last week. The opponents hit four. And okay. they they were somehow three and three. Um because baseball is funny and it likes to mess with your head. Um, the losses were all, yeah, sort of their own unique animal. The one in Florida, especially. What a weird game. Yeah, well, that one was like, well, we talked about this, how of the big three, like, starters, like, when who's starting when, Walker Bueller has the greatest, like, variance of all of them. And he, he kind of turned into Stinker on, on uh, Thursday. And then, you know, he was okay, but, like, um, it just seemed like the pitching staff availed themselves of the the Miami nightlife. <laughs> well, yeah, it seems Tuesday so. Yeah, or whenever it was. Well, also we talked about this too, where uh, over the last couple of weeks, like part of the thing with Kenley Jansen, uh, Dave Roberts thinks he's going to be better off getting like regular work, and part of that is like, given some of their blowout wins, there's not always save opportunities, and. Um, Dave Roberts' basic thing is like I'm going to pitch Kenley once a series at least, and the, in the the last few series that's meant oh we need to get him in in this last game, and then that meant in a blowout loss on Thursday he pitched, and then uh, on Sunday he ended up pitching um, late in that game when the Dodgers were down, but it's just because that's sort of when they were using him. So I don't know, it was kind of odd, uh, but like you know, like it was a weird week to. The, the So the Dodgers gave up four home runs, and like the last three were the kind of killers. Um, Hyunjin Ryu, um, we'll get to his pace update, I guess, shortly. But um, 
he gave up back-to-back home runs in the sixth inning and uh, broke a tie, and the Dodgers ended up losing that game 4-3. to three. So that was weird. And then the Dodgers were leading on Sunday in the sixth inning, and then Dustin May in his first relief appearance, they're going to sort of try him out there because that's his probably most likely uh, October role. Um, he did not take kindly to that in the first inning of his, of his relief work. Uh, he gave up a few hits, a walk, uh, and then a grand slam to a uh, hitter with a sub-600 lifetime OPS in, like, uh, journeyman number of years, Rafael Ortega. So that was weird. Um, and, of course, like, that's sort of why they're trying out Dustin May now in relief uh, because you can't, you know, it's one – got to learn these roles and, like, um, sort of plan for them. And that's why it's, uh, I guess, was August 17th when he pitched so – we still have seven weeks left in the season, so he's going to get more relief work, and he's either going to get used to it, and he's going to take to it, or he's not, and then they'll figure something out, but they, that's why they're sort of trying it out now. Well, that sort of experimentation definitely, maybe not directly, but certainly cost the Dodgers a, a win and a matchup for the best league best record excuse me in the national league which affects one of the magic numbers that i know you've you've started to track all the way now in august right well i've been like concentrating really only on the the number to win the division because there was like this outside chance that the dodgers could actually clinch the division in august it seems it's super unlikely now It, it was always like sort of unlikely because that's just like very difficult to do um but like, so the Dodgers still have an 18 and a half game lead in the division over the Giants. The Giants and Diamondbacks have been sort of leapfrogging back and forth a little bit, hovering around 500. Um, and so the Dodgers' uh, magic number is 19 over the Giants, and it's 18 over the Diamondbacks. So if we just if we just go with the Giants right now in August, the Dodgers have 12 more games left. Uh, the Giants have 11. So there's 23 events. They don't play each other. So 19 out of 23 things have to go right for the Dodgers to clinch in August. In other words, it's not happening. That that homestand uh, in the first week of September remains like the best sort of chance for them to sort of clinch the division. But we'll see when we get there. Uh, as far as the, the Braves, they lost two or three um, to Atlanta uh, over the weekend. And that's going to be – that's their like, you know, most like – excuse me, most likely NLCS opponent if, they, if both teams get that far. Um then the Dodgers have an eight-game lead over the Braves, so a twenty-nine you know, magic number, right? Still, for you. I'm still pretty good. Eric. Very good, very good. So yeah, they're they're in pretty they're in really good shape in the National League. They're a game behind the Yankees for the overall best record in baseball. So yeah, despite the sort of setback, three and three week, uh, they're still doing fine. You mentioned that, and in addition to Cody Bellinger, we've been keeping track of uh, Ryu's pace update kind of a kind of a not a rough outing but not not what we expect of him for sure right like that's what and that's how good of a season he's had right. he gave up four four runs in six innings which the second good, worst outing. but but, but not, yeah but not like but not like a terrible outing. and then like it's only the third time in 23 starts he's allowed more than two runs so like that's weird like uh so his era ballooned up to 164 should be ashamed of himself how do you even go outside with that kind of era Ugh, terrible um, but so, uh, so Mike Soroka of the Braves, who the Dodgers, um, they, when they played, they, he pitched Friday, he pitched okay. Uh, and he and Max Scherzer are both at 241. They're, they're second or second and third, I guess. 
And Jacob DeGrom is 261. Right behind them is Clayton Kershaw, 263, fifth best ERA in the majors at the moment. So uh, it's kind of weird had, over just like yeah. a season and a half, we've kind of just moved on to, oh, Kershaw is the third starter in this in this rotation. And not that he's washed up, but we just kind of moved him, how quickly we moved him to less right. than Clayton Kershaw status. And sure, he's not at his peak anymore, but his ability to adjust really, especially within the last year, is just remarkable. Yeah, like the slider's working. Uh, his command's been very good. Uh, in his last seven starts, uh, it's uh, 140 ERA. 33.5% strikeout rates, so whatever he's doing, keep it up. He actually started the game on Wednesday in Miami, um, and he struck out the first seven batters of the game. It set a Dodgers record to start a game, and he was one shy of the Major League record. He had Lewis Brinson 0-2 in the third inning, uh, but then Lewis Brinson was a spoil sport and grounded to short. Um, so, And then Kershaw struck out the next hitter, so he struck out eight of the first nine. Uh, he ended up striking out 10 in seven really dominant innings that game. So that, I mean, he's, he's pitched against the Marlins twice this year. It's 13 innings, uh, no runs, 20 strikeouts. So not bad. All right. I'm going to step away from the mic for a little bit and I'm just going <clears> to, <throat> I'm going to say two words to you and I'm going to let you go for as long as you want. All right. Sure. Home runs. Oh, okay. I, I thought you were going to say two different words and specifically a name, and I was thinking to, in my head, how dare you? But I know it's already coming. So, uh, okay. So the, the Dodgers were like uh, home run crazy this last week. They um, they hit four home runs the end of the previous week on Sunday. And then I remember – in fact, I'll, I'll bring it up now. We – we talked about they were at 197 home runs on the year, and one of our questions last week was, who's going to hit 200? And I went into the, all this research, and, like, the Marlins never allow, like, more than, like, they never they never allow three home runs, like, at home. Like, even as bad as the Marlins are, it's only happened, like, five times all year. Um, so they're probably not going to get those three home runs on Tuesday. The Dodgers hit six home runs on Tuesday. Um and you, you, the, you mentioned that not only that who's going to hit the 200th, Will Smith, but you, you set it up 198, 199, 200. You had Corey Seager, 198, which was correct. You had Justin Turner, 199, close enough because he was like 201. Um, and then Will Smith, 200. Will Smith not only was 200, but he was also 199. Um, so, like, you were on point, man. Like, um, it was really good. But, like, so – Four home runs Sunday, six home runs uh, Tuesday, and then four home runs, I think, the next two days. And then possibly, was it four more? Yeah, it was four more on Friday. So in in all of Major League history, there had never been a team with, like, more than three games in a row with four home runs. The Dodgers had five games in a row with four home runs. And we're seeing, like, these sort of, like, weird – I mean, no one cares about that record. That's not like a – oh man remember when we were growing up and we talked about all those teams who hit four home runs in consecutive games like nobody really talked about that it's it's more of a fun fact but it's like it seems like every day there's this new like thing you're like my god there's so many home runs um we talked about cody bellinger look he's gonna i mean he's just the, the likelihood is he's gonna break sean green's franchise home run record which is 49 he's already at 42 um so uh, he hit number 40 this last week. He's the eighth different Dodger with 40 home runs. Uh, there's been 14 total seasons. Max Muncy reached his 30th. He's up to 31 now. 
um it's you know it's, it's crazy like muncie is like the um he's the first dodger to go back to back 30 home run years since sean green in 0102 and even in this like sort of home run era like the dodgers have sort of dipped their toes in like they've been good as a team recently but like they don't always have the the one like sort of benchmark guy up there. They did with Bellinger a couple years ago, and I guess Muncie qualified as that last year. But um, they don't always have a thirty home run guy, so it is still relatively rare, like in their history. But I, I just want to go through some numbers here, like th- that. This whole like streak sort of it it made my brain kind of snap, which is why I'm talking about it right now. Um, so the Dodgers right now they lead the National League with 218 home runs. They are they have 16 more than the number two team in the National League, which is the Brewers. Uh, in the American League, only the Twins and the Yankees have more. The Twins are at 240. The Yankees are 227. Um, so, and keep in mind, it's a DH league. That I would say I would put the Dodgers above the Yankees in that regard. I don't know if they're if like a DH would make up the gap of 22 home runs between them and the Twins, but like we're, we're splitting hairs here, but. Uh, last year, the Yankees set a major league record. They hit 267 home runs. Four teams this year are on pace to break that record. The three I mentioned and the Astros, which are basically like, you know, the three best teams in the league. And then the Twins are like right there. So um, home runs still really good. They're the best thing you could do at the plate. Not knocking them in that regard. It just seems like there's been so many of them. Um, if you look at like the league as a whole, right? Um, this year, well, let's, let's, I'm going to start a little, a few years back. So just, um, four of the top five home run seasons of all time have happened in the last four years. Um, 2015 was like sort of a normal year, I guess. Uh, the, the league averaged like just over, like it was 1.01 home runs a game. Throughout like baseball history, it's like vacillated. A lot of times, it was lower than the home run per game. But once it got to that point, like maybe it got to like one point one or something. But these last few years have been sort of rising up and up and up. Um, so in two thousand, that was like a big. That was the steroid era, basically. Um, home runs got to one point one seven home runs per game. That's that's a lot, but it, that stood until two thousand seventeen. So like no. People were approaching it. It got to 1.16 one of those years, 1.15, close to it. But then, like, in 2017, we, we shot up to 1.26. That's that's 8% higher than that previous record. That's a big deal. But it took a long time to get there, so I kind of get it, right? Already, two years later, this year we're at 1.40. Like, that's, um, that's 11% over the 2017 record. It's 21% over 2016. So, like, and if you look back to 2015 when we were at, like, a sort of a normal level, maybe a little lower, it's 39% higher. That's only four years. Like, I just, my sort of thought is, like, how many home runs are too many? Like, I'm not, I'm not going old fogey here. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm not saying, yeah, I'm not saying, like, oh, home runs are bad. We need hit and run, all this stuff. I just wonder, like, do if everyone's hitting home runs, why do we care? Like, you know, like, is it that much, that big of a deal anymore? It's hard to like, when everyone's setting records, do the records mean anything? If everyone's hitting home runs, like that's, that's where I'm sort of coming from in this. 
I don't care so much about the ride. I just like hitting. I like seeing the ball leave the park, Eric. Is that so bad? Uh, no, it's not. That's what's that's what's the thing. Like, um, and I can I get it. It's just like, man, like if... here's the thing. They can't. I they can't fix the ball until Ryu hits a home run. At that <laughs> okay, point, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, that's another weird thing. Like, so I know it's like a running joke, like uh, especially on the Dodger broadcast. But they always like, oh, it's gonna happen. Like, you know, here it comes. Like, you know, they like Ryu's gonna hit, but. Like he's terrible. Like all pitchers are terrible hitters. Like I don't know. I guess I guess I am becoming old manish because I'm like, man, I just don't get the joke there. Like it's just like, really? Like I I know they're not serious about it, but it's like, all right, maybe maybe the seventeenth time we went to this well is too many. I don't know. Nope. Maybe that's so. Uh, some other weird home run stats. So like through Sunday, there's been um, thirty four straight days. Uh, with at least one player hitting two home runs in a game. On last Thursday, there were nine different players who hit two home runs in a game. You, do you have an idea what the previous record was for consecutive? This is another one of those weird records. Like, man, just remember you go to the you go to the Hall of Fame, and it's like the first record they show is consecutive days with a player hitting two home runs. But like, just if you had to guess, what do you think the old record for consecutive days was with the two home run game? Seventeen. Okay, again, you you are like on point in guessing recently. You're, it's very close. It's twenty, okay. but like so thirty four. Like <laughs> I'm sounding like Tim Tim Kirkshin right now. My voice is <laughs> going up seven octaves. Like, um, it's just it's crazy to me. Like, uh, you know, I I sort of liken this. I went on a little bit of a Twitter rant re- uh, the other day, and I liken this to last year. Like, like I I've always been a fan of position player pitching because of the novelty of it. And then, like last year happened, and we it seemed like a position player was pitching like every other day, and I was, and then now I I don't ever want to see it again. Almost like it's just I'm sick of it. Like it was just okay. I, I get it now. Every team is doing it. it. It's dumb. I don't want to see it anymore. So I, I hope we don't get there with home runs. I don't think I'm there yet, but I'm cl- I'm closer than I thought I would be. The other thing that sort of gets to me is like. Um, um, Aristides Aquino on the Reds, which if you've never heard of him, understandable. He's a brand new player. Um, he has 11 home runs in his first 18 career games, which is a record. But then you look at all these like rec- records through X amount of games. And like, I-, I was looking through the Reds game notes and like, he has like the most, he was like the quickest to not seven home runs, eight home runs, nine home runs, 10 home runs and all this. And then, but I looked at all the records he's beating. They're all like within the last two years or maybe three. It was all like Trevor Story, Reese Hoskins, and then this year, Jordan Alvarez. And I think like every other day, like the other day uh, with Jordan Alvarez, it's like, oh, another record for Alvarez. He has the most uh, RBIs through 53 career games since Joe DiMaggio. It's like, yeah, you know, like that standard we all judge hitters by is their first 53 games. It, I get it because that's how many games he's played and it's cool to like look it up. But it's like, man, everything's like these records are like so fast and furiously falling. Like Cody Bellinger, uh, two years ago, he hit 39 home runs, set the National League rookie record. That was a record that uh, went untouched for 61 years. It's already gone. Pete Alonso has, has 40 this year. He's going to blow by that. Um, so, like, I I just um, – I I'm not quite old man yelling at Cloud yet, but, like, I'm, I'm getting closer. 
And I just I would like to know what the breaking point is for home runs. I, and I think we're getting closer than we've ever been. We're certainly getting closer than we've ever been before. There's going to be like I think close to a thousand home, more home runs that hit this year than last year. And last year was like a historically great season for that. So like that's that's where we're at, and it's weird. It's just very weird to me, is all. How much? We'll end this rant with I have one question for you. A lot of has been talked about that. Obviously, the ball is different this year. I think that's mm-hmm. just a given. It's I mean yeah, that's all of it almost. So, that, it, but... so that's a that's an interesting question because uh, compare let's not just this year in isolation. Let's say the last four years. How much of that is a ball difference versus? The, sort of the launch angle era where teams are just getting better at developing and better understanding of how important the home run is and how to actually hit it. Yeah, I think the, so the, it's been like a gradual thing over the last few years of like not only launch angle, but like um, I think acceptance of strikeouts and like basically just selling out and going for it, like and just swing as hard as you can as as often as you can, basically. And when you hit it, good things will happen. And if you strike out, that's just, that's, you know, you take that because the gains of the home run and I get it and that's fine. I think that's part of it, but like the ball specifically, like the studies we've seen, um, you know, this year it's like significantly different from last year. And I know they've talked about the ball in the past. And I think that it's like this ongoing thing, triple a this year, like the balls are like super weird. Like the offense there is like, it's even it's skyrocketing like on a astronomical level there, which is why like you sort of take some of these AAA numbers with a grain of salt. Although we've seen like Will Smith was like raking in AAA and he came up and he's still raking, so it's you know it's all part and parcel. But I think the main thing is the ball. We've seen this before. Like 1987 was a big home run spike year, like back in the 80s. But it was like uh, that was clearly like a juice ball year, and then it like went back to relatively normal after that for a while. So I th- I think we'll see that this year, uh, going into next year, they'll probably make some changes back to the ball. Um, but yeah, it's um, it's weird because like offense isn't like, you know, teams aren't averaging like seven runs a game or anything. It's not like out of whack in that regard. It's just like, it's just the style of offense has shifted to increasingly home run heavy. And like, I don't know if that's a problem. It's probably a problem if it like keeps going too far in that direction but like i just don't know where that line is and i'm kind of fascinated to know exactly where where the line of like uh, are we too home run dependent i guess is the way to put it it'll be interesting to compare next year for sure assuming they make some sort of dramatic change to the ball and how how much it compares and how much it doesn't lose again because teams are trying to take advantage of it Especially, yeah, when Cody Bellinger leads uh, the Dodgers with like twenty-seven home runs less <laughs> next year, we're like, "What's what's wrong with Cody Bellinger?" Like, yeah, got a couple other topics and some questions from Craig after this break. Last news before we get into a rewind: some questions from Craig, and it's not good news. Uh, Julio Arias was suspended twenty games. I've been really busy with work this weekend, so I actually haven't gotten much details um, other than that. I have some opinions, but I'm, I'm kind of actually looking forward to you giving me some information before I before I go too public on that on those thoughts. Sure, sure. So this is all stemming. Uh, Julio Urias was arrested in L.A. on May 13th for suspicion of domestic battery. Um, the L.A. city attorney at the time, uh, it, it was some point like late, a little bit later in May, 
they deferred prosecution, uh, but he had to meet several conditions in order to sort of uh, meet that. And one was he participated in a hearing with the city attorney. Uh, he had to commit, quote, no acts of violence against anybody. Um, and then also complete a 52-week domestic violence counseling program in person and in a group setting. So it's been like weekly meetings with that. He has to like comply with this to avoid getting charges. So while you know not charged he still has to like do things to not get charged so there's not nothing there right and um there was like a little bit of confusion or maybe it was just under the radar i think because it really hadn't been reported on much since then because he was on administrative leave for a week and then he was activated and then activated was, much sooner than other similar cases. Yes. Like a lot of times uh, if the investigation is going on, MLB has extended the administrative leave. Like he did that with Roberto Asuna. He had a much more, uh, I, I mean, I, and this is where I get, it's the part I sort of hate about this is we start like ranking the domestic violence. Like, you know, you know that's, there's, there's certainly different types and severities, but like, I'm just sort of pointing this out, like Roberto Asuna, they kept delaying and delaying and delaying, and then he ended up getting a 75-game suspension. With Urias, it was like no talk of suspension, so it wasn't quite over, um, but it was like we don't know when the it's going to be over. And so the weird part about this uh, with the policy uh, of Major League Baseball that's agreed upon with the Players Union, the team itself like doesn't know a ton. I, I'm sure they get sort of um, – I guess when something's going to come down, they probably get a, a bit of word. Like, I think, so this happened Saturday. The Dodgers got word Friday night. I don't know exactly when. They did use Urias for a three-inning save Friday night. So, like, it's reasonable to assume that they knew, like, something was happening Saturday. So they're just like, let's use this guy now. And, you know, it's the cold sort of harsh reality of it. But um, that's also in line with a lot of his previous appearances, so not, not that big of a deal. So his suspension was 20 games. They treated the five games that when he was on administrative lead, administrative leave that's already served, so it's 15 more games. So September 2nd is when he could return. He can actually um, be part of a rehab assignment. I, th I think Bill Plunkett mentioned this August 27th. It's not quite a week before, but... They, they sort of set that up. Like, I know a lot of people are not the happiest about that, that when you're suspended, you can actually go and read it. But, like, the whole point of this suspension is that he's ineligible for major league games, but they also want players to be ready to play. So I kind of get it, but just ignore that for a second. Um, I just want to talk a little bit about the MLB policy. So this went into effect, like, four years ago. Um, a lot of the... Um, things I'm seeing or like the responses I've seen to the suspension. And it, it's, it's the more, one of the more like distasteful things about all of this is when fans like immediately come to the defense of the player, just because he's on their favorite team, like, and not really, it doesn't really matter what the facts are. They're just like the, the most common thing is he wasn't charged. Like why, how, why is he getting suspended? He's getting suspended for nothing. Well, you know, look at the previous thing. He he deferred he was deferred prosecution, right? He has to like uh, go through a, a, a checklist of things meeting their criteria to not get prosecuted. So it's not nothing. Also, 
the policy itself with Major League Baseball, the commissioner has the authority, um, I'm quoting here, the commissioner's authority to discipline is not dependent on whether the player is convicted or pleads guilty to a crime. So the, it's different standards here. He's, Urias isn't going to jail because of the 20 games. He's just not able to uh, do his job because he violated an agreed-upon uh, policy on this. So that's sort of where they're coming from. Now, part of the policy, now that he's suspended, he has to go through a uh, what they call a confidential and comprehensive evaluation and treatment program. And I was looking at a little bit how they set this up. So there's something called the Joint Policy Board with MLB. Um, it, it has seven members, and it's like the, the most important members are there's – I don't know who these people are, but they are – there's three, like – experts on domestic violence and then two representatives on the board from MLB and then two on the major league baseball players union. So then like all the decisions sort of go through this um, policy board, and including like whether Urias is complying and then whether, you know, uh, whether he meets it. If he, if a player doesn't comply, they can like punish him further, that kind of a thing. Um, So, and then of the three, there's usually one who like sort of provides the plan um, to sort of rehabilitate, I guess is the word. I know it's, it's weird, but that, that sort of one person is responsible for like overseeing the player uh, player's compliance with the plan. So I think about this, like a lot of times we talk about like um, especially in major league baseball labor, they, they usually have like an arbiter and the, the setup for those is usually it was always a three man or three person uh, board, but one was from the owner side and one was from the player side. And the one that really mattered was the actual arbiter himself. So in the policy board, it seems like the people who matter are these three sort of domestic violence experts they have, and they're the ones sort of carrying out the plan. Um, So that's sort of the nuts and bolts of it. Um, Now the Dodgers, like they issued a statement Uh, It was a pretty short statement. I'm just going to read it in its entirety. Quote, while we are disappointed in what occurred and support the decision by the commissioner's office, we are also encouraged that Julio has taken responsibility for his actions and believe he will take the necessary steps to learn from this incident. Now, I mentioned before that the teams are not privy to the investigation as it's happening. So they kind of got word that it was over Friday night. Then he was suspended on Saturday. Um, the other thing about this is Urias is eligible for the postseason. Um, and I, I guess Stan Kasten and Andrew Friedman were in Atlanta uh, over the weekend, and they were interviewed on Saturday as the news came down. And um, Kasten was asked, I believe, outright, uh, you know, what are you going to release Urias? No. And they, the, the basic plan is like, they, I mean, they're, they're, they're going to use him for the playoffs. I think that's, that's sort of the, I don't know if I don't think Kesson actually said that, but I'm pretty sure it was implied given a lot of the sort of questioning. And um, I was was looking at this. There's only been, as far as I can tell, 12 um, domestic violence suspensions since the sort of policy came in. And again, I as much as I hate to like, I, I don't, I'm not treating this as a ranking, but I will just say of the ones of the 12 suspensions that have been handed down. Urias got 20 games. That's the third lowest suspension. Again, not a value judgment, just pointing it out. Stephen Wright got 15 games in 2018. Jurius Familia got 15 games in 2017. Um, the highest suspension was 100 games, Alex Torres. Odubel Herrera this year got 85 games, and that was 
it was 85 games because it was the remainder of the season. And his stipulate his uh, suspension noted he's also ineligible for the postseason. It seems like that's a case by case basis with these, and it kind of depends on the length and the timing. Um, Addison Russell a couple years ago, or I guess last year, um, he got suspended for 40 games, but it wasn't announced till like after the wild card game, and he didn't play for the Cubs in that. So he was on administrative leave at the time. So they counted the last 11 games of the season plus the wild card game towards the suspension. Then he was he missed the first 28 games excuse me, this year. So that was part of it. Um, but I looked at some others. Aroldis Chapman, he got 30 games in 2016. He ended up helping the Cubs uh, um, win the World Series that year. He pitched in the playoffs. Roberto Osuna, the year he got 75 games. He pitched in the 2018 playoffs with Houston. Stephen Wright, the aforementioned uh, Red Sox pitcher, he got 15 games in 2018. He was actually on the ALDS roster last year, but he got hurt. So eligible, but he just didn't pitch. Um, so that's sort of where we're at. Uh, it seems like, yeah, Urias is going to be um, uh, eligible for the postseason. Uh, I, I'll say this. The, the part that sort of irked me the most about this is like um, was the MLB Players Association released a statement on Urias' behalf. So it's ostensibly from him, even though the, the um, MLBPA is releasing it. So the opening paragraph is this, or it mentions um, – it is important to me not to create uncertainty for my teammates as we approach the playoffs. Accepting accepting the suspension is the best path to achieve that goal. So he mentioned that in the first paragraph that he had the right to appeal and he didn't. Um, but I mean, it was part of because they he knew like that was coming down. So like to me that that was like um, a little a little too much. Like. See, setting himself up as the hero of this story, which he should not do, like not showing any like um, conciliatory nature. He mentioned the um, the the incident, uh, as he called it, in the second paragraph after he was um, sort of sorry for the baseball part of it, which another thing that sort of irked me about this. But he said, although the authorities determined no charges of any kind were warranted. I accept full responsibility for what I believe was my, was my inappropriate conduct during the incident. So that's like a weird statement in itself. Like we mentioned before, look, they determined no charges were warranted yet. He still has to comply with like this checklist of items. So it's not, it's not, again, it's not that there's nothing there. He's just has deferred prosecution. So he has to meet criteria to avoid getting prosecuted. So it's not like he's scot-free, which is what that sort of statement implies, which that's, it's just a distasteful thing to be when you should be like being sort of sorry for your actions. It didn't, he didn't seem very sorry in this statement. I think that's what sort of irked me the most. So, yeah, it's um, roughly what I was expecting, even though I know I was a little busy when the announcement actually came out and it just pisses me off. Um, The right, the being a major league player is, is essentially to be a celebrity and to me, that's a privilege and not a right. And it just, Mo- Molly Knight tweeted a little bit about this that really echoed my sentiments, which this just doesn't make sense. Not that he, they took so long to suspend him. I understand it's an investigation. The team doesn't have a lot of power while that investigation is ongoing. But once you conclude he clearly did something, um, again, I, I, I don't think this is a ranking thing. I think if you are... G- deserving enough of 20 games that that's not anywhere close to a big enough statement 
from and again i don't i i don't know enough about the policies to know if this falls on major league baseball or if this falls on the dodgers or where this falls on but that's not a statement and it creates this situation where what what are we as fans supposed to do i don't like he comes into a game and a big moment in the playoffs i i'm not happy i don't want to celebrate i don't want to cheer and that that's sort of that baseball is put above uh, a a really big issue uh, in sort of American society, probably world society, honestly, uh, just pisses me off. And I, I that's not a very rational statement. I'm not ma- trying to make grandiose statements on what should have been done instead. But this does not ple- this bothers me a lot. Yeah, and another thing too that sort of uh, comes off as a little disingenuous uh, from the Dodgers side. Is that they were they were pretty well out in front of like puffing their chest out when mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the sort of Chapman trade, which which was agreed upon, but then they backed out of it when sort of the news came out of his incident where he fired a gun. Uh, uh, and I was proud with his of wife. the Dodgers in that moment, and I was maybe sillily expecting something similar here to where right. You know, yeah, maybe for whatever reason, you, again, I, I don't think you can go into degrees that much in this situation. Maybe you can in a court of law. But here, if you did something like this, you're not deserving of being cheered for in a major league game. Yeah. And, and, I, and it seemed yeah. like the Dodgers were beating that drum. And now that it kind of happens in this way, they get all wishy-washy. And that it pisses me off. Yeah, it happened with uh, Roberto Osuna thing too because his suspension ended when the Astros were at Dodger Stadium last year. So the Dodgers again got to sort of puff their chest out because I think uh, I think Mark Walter and Stan Kasten that weekend, if I remember right, was were sort of talking about it just generally, and it was like, yeah, we we can't have this kind of a thing here, and like you know they get to they get to when it's not part of their organization and it's a guy they didn't sort of trade for, and then like they it fell through because of. And then it makes you cynical. Like, did the trade fall through because um, because they have standards, or because they don't want the heat of the PR? You know, like yeah. that's that that's where it sort of comes from. So, and it's always like this cover your ass mentality. Like, uh, and, and look, like some fans completely um, right to be like angry. And like, I know with Addison Russell, like a lot of Cubs fans, and and Rollis Chapman too. Uh, when he was like doing good things, uh, Cubs fans were like every time he he Chapman would pitch or like when Russell was batting, they would like put out uh, calls for like donations to like you know um, domestic violence sort of charities to sort of help uh, people victims of that. So I suspect we'll probably see something like that here. I will say this: I was reading a lot of stuff over the weekend about this and. Uh, just like three different sort of fan thoughts on this. Aaron Falk um, tweeted, has a nice tweet thread about it. Amanda Smith has a very long tweet thread about it. I think they share your sentiment. Uh, Jeff Snyder, another Dodger fan, uh, has a very long thread, very rational about it and like sort of aired on the side of like, um, it's just like, there's no, it's easy to say like zero tolerance. His sort, I'm summing up, I'm not, I'm trying not to put words in his mouth, but it's easy to say zero tolerance with, without like any nuance, but there's always nuance. He tried to find the nuance, and I thought he did a pretty good job of explaining sort of mm-hmm. the rationale behind it. So I'm going to link to all those in the 
in the show notes, but uh, that's that's where we're at. Um, he's. So I guess he's, one thing because yeah. I got I was reacting very emotionally, just kind oh, of yeah. taking things in. I don't know. Like, I think my bare minimum, and if I thought about this more, I might go even more extreme, maybe even closer to zero tolerance. I don't know. But at a bare minimum, I think an extreme public contrition needs to occur uh, before you should be allowed, again, this privilege of playing in Major League Baseball. I don't think that's occurred. I also don't think it's possible for that to occur in the course of a season. Um, I don't necessarily think the Dodgers needed to release him outright right away. They wanted to retain that for a little bit, but he should not pitch the rest of this year. I really do think that I'm disappointed to learn that that's probably not going to be the case. Um, I know a lot of Cubs fans that, uh, you know, again, in that world series where Chapman was so effective, just had these like, you know, this should have been one of the happiest moments of the last century for a lot of these fans. And it was, and it was, but it was the fact that it was tainted at all was just such a disappointment. And I'm, uh, disappointed to learn that if the Dodgers do that again, I'm I'm in the same boat. Right. It, it's you're. It really and and again, I don't want to make light of any of this um, because, like, the actual victim here um, with uh, Urias is the sort of one who is the real victim. But like, it really puts fans in tough spots because you're like, man, you're just you do want to like. You, you want to root for something you believe in and like that stands for things that you stand for. And if, if you don't get that at a bare minimum, like that, that can be, it can be like heart wrenching, you know, like, and, and, and sort of gutting. And I, I, I completely, I completely understand. And it's, um, yeah, I'm going to be interested to see what kind of reception he gets. Cause it was pretty lukewarm. Like after no one really he didn't really get much of any reaction uh after the may incident but i think if there was a lot of sort of uh a lot of stuff was up in the air at the time too so it'd be interesting to see his first game back at dodger stadium whether he gets uh booed or cheered or what uh it's going to be something to watch and i'm looking forward to reading all the twitter threads you're linking to because i haven't hadn't read all of them I'm excited to see if uh, uh i can get a little bit more solid other than just feeling really disappointed um, and really upset. Yep. Well, we have five questions from Craig. We need to do a quick ad break and we'll be back after that. This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. I almost forgot Dodgers Rewind, but you have one for this week. And you normally go to players maybe I've heard in passing or maybe I've never heard of at all. I've heard of this guy. And, okay, before I go into it, so Frank Howard is our um, Dodgers Rewind this week. Do you know what Frank Howard's uh, nickname or nicknames were. 
I I do not. Okay, so he the two main ones are Hondo, which is you know a little bit a little bit easy, but uh, I kind of Hondo is a fun word to say, so I like it. But also, since he played for a lot of years and it was hitting home runs with the Washington Senators, the Capital Punisher. Oh, that's now great. that is a kick-ass nickname. Um, okay, so with the with Max Muncy getting to thirty home runs and we us talking about home runs, Cody Bellinger got to forty. Uh, I was looking up the sort of list of Dodgers with 30 home runs in a season, and Frank Howard happened to be the first to do so when they were in Los Angeles. So he hit 31 um, home runs in 1962, the first year of Dodger Stadium. That was a weirdly strong offensive year. I know a lot of the Dodgers of the 60s are well-known for pitching, and the the offense, uh, part of it was the league, part of it was Dodger Stadium. Uh, suppressing runs, but like 62 was, it was also an expansion year. So that was part of it. But like, that was a wild offensive year. Like Willie Davis, uh, not Willie Davis, Tommy Davis uh, drove in like 153 runs, like which not not been touched since like uh, in franchise history. So uh, yeah, Frank Howard was huge that year. Uh, They, um, he signed out of Ohio state. This was before the draft. Uh, So 1958, he signed, he was the Rookie of the Year in 1960. He was the first L.A. Dodger to win Rookie of the Year, uh, the fifth overall Dodger to win a Rookie of the Year. So um, he was the only Dodger to hit 30 home runs from 1958 to 1973. Now, if you had to guess, uh-huh. how many total 30-home run seasons have there been in Dodger history, including Brooklyn? including Brooklyn. Yeah, and I'll, I'm going to ask this two parts. One is how many total seasons and how many different players have hit 30? Okay, let's. Uh, I'm going to take five seconds and just shout out a number. I love it. 23 seasons, 16 players. Oh, man, you are so low on this. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I was hoping you'd say something. So it's actually 23 total players. Okay. But, so, see, I was getting there. <laughs> yeah. I, I was like, oh, he's going to say it. He's going backwards. Okay. And then uh, 52 Whoa. total seasons. Whoa. Yeah. So of the 23 players, um, the most are Duke Snyder and Gil Hodges. Understandable. They were just mashing in the 50s. Uh, six seasons each. Eric Karras, five, and it was five in a six-year stretch. Uh, and then the pair of catchers, Mike Piazza, Roy Campanella, with four each. So just look at that, like those Ebbetsfield Boys of Summer teams had. Uh, I think I, I think I was probably oh, discounting the Brooklyn years in my yeah. in my big estimation. So what what was your total? You said twenty three total seasons. Yeah, yeah. That, but I meant players it was, clearly. It, it's it's thirty <laughs> it's thirty four in L A. So closer. Like all right, I'll, so I'll give you that. Um, so the the best part, uh, the most distinguishing characteristic about um, Frank Howard is that he's freaking huge, like. He was listed, mind you, listed, and listed is never accurate, but he was listed at 6'7", 258, which means he was probably 7'4", 480. You sent me this uh, baseball card that has a very cute cartoon. Yeah, and uh, that's going to be in the post. Um, I love the old baseball cards that had the little like cartoons on the back. and So the, the note in, in this baseball card, 1965 tops, um, Frank Howard, uh, Frank was named uh, National League Rookie of the Year 1960, and it shows a like sort of um, kind of monopoly uh, art. 
yes, I expect exactly. this That's on a, a community yeah. chest. <laughs> right. <laughs> like you just won ten dollars second place in a beauty contest. Here's your trophy. <laughs> but the the man wearing uh holding the trophy and trying to hand it to Howard does not come up to Howard's belt buckle. And you don't you, you don't even see like more than like uh a few inches of Howard's torso and it's out of the frame because he's such a tall man. So it's a beautifully executed uh cartoon on this baseball card. Um in uh he played in one world series with the dodgers 1963 he started three of the four games the dodgers swept that series against the yankees um he hit he homered in game four um it's it was the first world series home run at dodger stadium um so in his uh he sort of had five full seasons he played parts of seven seasons with the dodgers a 125 ops plus um that's tied for 28th in franchise history. I think the minimum is 2,000 plate appearances. He had like 2,300. Uh, Ron Say also had a 125 um, OPS plus to give you an idea of the production that Howard had. Very good. Ron Say and two others were at 125. Um, sort of, but he was traded in a big trade. Like the Dodgers were a very good team in the 60s. They nearly made the World Series in 62. They lost in the playoff to the Giants. They made the World Series and won the World Series in 63. They uh, had some injuries in 64 and, and did not make the playoffs. Or it was only a World Series then, so there was World Series or bust. Uh, so heading into that winter meetings, the Dodgers sort of needed to make a change. They, needed, um, they felt they needed pitching help, so they made a trade with the Washington Senators. It was a five-for-two deal. Um, the two big names that went to the Senators are Frank Howard and Ken McMullen, Ken's a third baseman. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, he um, he actually was like really good for the Senators once he left. Like if you look at it, like if you you know if you just sort of like count the war as people like to say, this trade was really good for the Senators, but it was also sort of a win-win because um, while the Senators got Frank Howard and McMullen, the Dodgers got Claude Osteen, which sort of anchored helped anchor their pitching staff. They already had. Um, Drysdale and Koufax and like um, some of the other pitchers are sort of um, uh, faltering at this time and Osteen gave him a like very reliable third starter, helped him win the 65 World Series. They got to the 66 World Series and lost. Osteen ended up pitching nine seasons for the Dodgers um, and then was traded. But like Howard flourished uh, with the Senators. Uh, he had a 156 OPS plus in his first seven years, that was before the Senators moved to Texas. In those years, he averaged 34 home runs and 96 RBIs. And keep in mind, like this was the end of the 60s when there was it was hard to score, and Howard was like basically a one-man offense uh, in in many of those years. So he led the AL with 44 home runs in 68 and 70. In between, he hit 48 home runs in 69. Didn't lead the league that year. But like that's where he sort of got the capital punishment, uh, punishment, uh, punisher. Geez, I can't talk. Uh, capital punisher uh, nickname. So yeah, very sort of um, notable player because of his size and very affable and one of sort of the most memorable uh, Dodgers we've ever seen. You mentioned the first Dodger, the uh, LA Dodger, the thirty home runs. Uh, Sissy emailed us a question that relates very closely. Dodgers have two. We've talked about a lot so far this episode, Bellinger and Muncie with 30. She wanted to know, can two more get there? Can the Dodgers have a quartet of 31 home runs, 30 home run players this year? Now, so her, I, I, 
I, oh, I, well, are, you, are we I, miss? I, are we you and I interpreting this question differently? Well, no, I, I sort of. I, except I, I'm, I'm answering. I'm going to answer this in a Dodger way. But the way she worded it, she did not actually mention the Dodgers. Oh. It's implied that. So I, I was. I sort of expanded it um, to try to figure out like um, if the other teams more other than the Dodgers can do it, and there are a few. Uh, but so from the Dodgers' perspective, they already have Bellinger, 42, Muncie, 31. They're there. Jock Peterson has 24. He's been sort of sitting in that range for a while. Um, he only has four home runs in his last 32 games post All-Star break. There's still 36 games left in the season. And, like, honestly, Jock is, like, a super streaky hitter. Like Super streaky, uh, he, and he's a candidate for getting a lot of playing time in September, I think. Well, I, I just think his thing is, like, he's he has the most starts on the team against righties, mm-hmm. and I think that's going to continue. So, um, like, he's going to have opportunities. So, I... He has a chance to get there, but then the other one who has the better chance to get there to 30, I think, which would be for the first time, is Justin Turner. He's at 22, but it's a sneaky 22 because he had 10 home runs at the All-Star break, and he has 12 home runs in 34 games since. He's been on fire uh, with the power power stroke. So um, very much more likely, I think, he'll, he, he's, that he, I'm more confident that he'll hit eight home runs than Jock will hit six. But I actually think both have a pretty good shot to get there. So the Dodgers have done this twice. In 1977, famously, they were the first team to ever do it. Um, and then nobody ever did it again till the Rockies uh, uh, came into play. And they did it in 1995. They did it for four out of five years. Um, the Dodgers also did it in 1997. Um, so those are the only two knows the Dodgers have done it. Um, the last team to do it in baseball was the 2009 Phillies. Um so there's been 12 total teams that have done it. Uh, I was looking at this year. So I think to be sort of eligible to hit, to have four to hit 30, you have to, we're at like nearing the 80% mark of the season now. So I even, I went a little lower. I think you have to have at least four guys with at least 20 now. Like you can't, no, it, someone could make a run from like 17 or 18 or whatever, but yeah, it's going to be tough. But the Twins, so they have like six guys with already with 20. Kepler and Nelson Cruz have over 30. Uh, Rosario has 27. Somebody named Mitch Garver, uh, he's the catcher, uh, he has 23. Miguel Sano has 23. And then CJ Crone has 20. So just from sheer volume, they might be able to do it. And they, they have the most home runs in baseball. So certainly possible. The Astros, always powerful. Bregman has 30 already. Springer has 26. Um, Yuli Gurriel is 25. Jose Altuve is 22. Maybe tough that Altuve hits another eight, but like certainly possible. It gets a little tougher now. The Red Sox, um, there, uh, Martinez has 27, uh, 28, excuse me. Rafael Devers has 27. Xander Bogarts has 27. Then Mookie Betts has 21. We saw like Mookie Betts can get hot at any time. He won the MVP last year. He could certainly hit nine the rest of the way, but that's going to be a tough sled uh, for all four of those guys to hit 30, I think, mostly because of bets. The Cubs, uh, their fourth guy is Anthony Rizzo with 23. They have Baez and Schwarber at 28 and Chris Bryant at 25, so they're in good shape. The other ones are like with four guys with 20 are long shots. The Indians, um, they're Carlos Santana, 29. Lindor, 21. Jose Ramirez and Roberto Perez with 20. So that's 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 a long shot. I don't think that's going to happen. The A's have a tough one because they have Matt Chapman of 29, Matt Olson with 25, 
Marcus Seaman with 21, so certainly possible. But then their fourth bet is Ramon Laureano with 21, but he's he has like a shin thing. He's not going to play till September, so they're out. The Padres really got screwed by this because they were uh, the Padres in Petco Park of all places. Uh, Hunter Renfro already there, 31. Manny Machado was 26. They Franmo Reyes had 27 home runs, but he got traded to the Indians, so uh, not going to happen. Um, unless let's say the Indians release him and then the Padres sign him for September and he hits three more home runs, that's possible. But then also their fourth option was Fernando Tatis Jr. with 22, and the way he was hitting, I think he would have definitely got there. Um, but he's out for the season with a back injury. So, uh, yeah, it's looking unlikely. So of those teams, I think the Twins and the Astros have the best shot. Uh, actually, maybe the Twins and the Cubs. And then the Astros, like, right there. But the Dodgers are, have a pretty good shot. All right. We don't have a we don't have a uh, jingle for question from Craig yet. But we've been told we're going to get one. Oh, man, the tease. I love it. I'm, I'm excited. And uh, here's another tease. The most oh. appetite-inducing food question Craig's ever asked us, for me at Whoa. least, is on, is on it's, this it's, list. I've seen it. Sometimes I don't look at the questions at a time. This time I did, and it's a good question. With the New York Yankees coming to Dodger Stadium this week, I'm reminded that the World Series of 77, 78, and 81 made such an impact on me because they made the Yankees the Dodgers rival. I wanted to know which sports rivalry stands out for you, especially if it happened in early fandom. He has a good guess for you because it's a classic rivalry. He thinks is your answer, and for me, he's wondering if it has to do with the Colts. Yeah, so he's right with me. Like, um, so I didn't start following basketball till like eighty six, eighty seven, and this was the end of a stretch where the Lakers and Celtics met three times in four years in the finals. Um, and they had the classic rivalry back in the sixties, although back then it was more more of a hammer and nail rivalry um, and the Lakers were the nail. Um, but those, that was a, it's one of those things where like I got retroactively mad at 1984 when the, the Celtics beat the Lakers in seven games uh, in a very winnable series for the Lakers. And I wasn't even around to watch it when it happened, but like it was such a good series that I, when you, when I go back and like look at it, I'm, I'm retroactively mad about it, which which sort of makes for a good rivalry. Um, and then it was kind of the, it was dormant for a while. The Lakers, uh, either the Lakers were good and the Celtics weren't, or the Celtics were good and the Lakers weren't for a while. Um, when that rivalry got sort of rekindled with the 2008 finals, the Celtics beat the Lakers then. Um, I've said this before, like, uh, you know, growing up, I loved the Lakers and Magic Johnson is my favorite all-time athlete. And those championships are wonderful. When they won with Shaq and Kobe, those were cool too in, in 2000, 2001, 2002. Not quite the same as the Magic years for me. But then like when they won again in 2009, when they beat the Magic, I just remember I was watching that with my, my nephew and his wife. And when it was over, like I didn't feel anything. Like, and this, like it's a weird thing to say because you know, like his championship, you should be like elated. But I was just like, huh, okay. Like maybe, maybe I'm just kind of over basketball now. But then in 2010, they played the Celtics again and it was sort of a revenge series for the Lakers. And uh, then they got over the hump and I was so pumped for that series. And I, the rivalry flooded back to me so much so that when the, like the Lakers clinched the series uh, in game seven, um, 
I actually, I literally jumped for joy, like when, the, uh, as the buzzer was sounding. So like, um, yeah, uh, so that is clearly it for me, Lakers Celtics, uh, and it's it's not really close. I have two answers here differently in terms of emotional involvement in that a loss to this team hurt oh. way more than anyone else in a win seldom as they were was so much sweeter uh craig is right it was the colts patriots rivalry in the uh the mid-aughts mm-hmm. uh, they they lost a lot they won a couple of couple of regular season games and one very very big playoff game in 2006 the uh, don't follow football much anymore period so that's sort of lost it but i remember what it felt like back then the the um, therapeutic text messages between my brother and I as we would try to recuperate from usually a, a really hard loss. But have you you've seen the episode of The Simpsons, City of New York versus Homer Simpson? Yes. So Homer's relationship with New York City is my relationship with San Francisco, which was only anchored by the Barry Bonds giants. So uh, mm-hmm. I would say I as well have just a natural rivalry with the city of San Francisco. Uh, it, it it really is a lovely city, but it seems like every time I'm there, all of my luck just goes away and just bad stuff happens. Uh, and then, yeah, booing Barry Bonds was just always a lot of fun. <laughs> That's pretty good. Question two, moving the food question up from its question five. No, we're not doing this. The food question it's, comes last. Food is last. So third question. <laughs> yeah. Justin Turner is currently ninth in B-War for an L.A. Dodger position with sev- 27 B-War. He's also fifth in the National League for position players from 2014 to present. I don't want to say he's undervalued or taken for granted, but you, do you think what he has done as a Dodger is fully appreciated? No. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He is undervalued, I think, because, like, um, you just look at it, like, just from a Dodgers perspective. Well, look, he mentioned it. Like, he's one of the top, like, five or ten hitters in the National League since he's become a Dodger, and that's that enough is, like, really good. But um, just looking at him, like when it comes to like Dodger third baseman, he's already sixth all time in games played at third base in the franchise. Uh, he has 626 games. He's going to pass Cookie Lavagetto this year. He'll pass Billy Cox at some point early next year. And then after that, it's only Ron Say, which is who is miles ahead, Adrian Beltran and Jim Gilliam. And Gilliam in his career played more games at um, second base and third and uh, Turner could actually pass him next year. So um, he only, he trails among third basemen in Dodger history. He only trails Ron Say and Adrian Beltre. Um, he's already at uh, 3.7 war this year. He had five straight years of four uh, war or higher. Um, he averaged 4.7 the last five years. And that included like um, 2014 when he was basically like a utility guy and a fill-in for, like, Juan Uribe, but he played all over. And he still, like, had a four-win season. Like, he he had, like, over 300 plate appearances. So he, like, he like played his way into where he is. But, like, oh, so I was looking this up. I was trying to figure out a way to do this. I know the fact that he hit four war in every season so far, and he's almost going to do it this year. So it's going to be six straight years. Um, who do you think has the most four-win seasons with the Dodgers? Dodgers, period? Yes, Oh man, that's a fun question. I will give you the top. The top two are in Brooklyn. Top two in Brooklyn. Okay, so I, I was going there. Um, Gil Hodges. Um, Hodges is tied for. Well, it's not really fourth, but he has six straight years. He's one of three players with six. Okay. 
So, but yeah, there's like there's three slots ahead of him. <sighs> um, it's interesting because you have to go longitude. Lo, yeah, the word I can't say right now apparently. <laughs> longitude. Oh wait, no. <laughs> uh, let's see, Roy Campanella. Campanella. I can't say that name. Campanella, also one of the ones with six. I'll, <laughs> and I'll, I, I, will, I will give away another one of the Sixers. Um, Zach Wheat, also okay, with six. So was literally going to be my next guess. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Duke Snyder. He is second with eight okay. eight seasons. in a, uh, Not in a row, but eight four-win seasons with the Dodgers. Uh, I'm tapping out. Okay, so the normal, the good longevity answer, if you're going with the Dodgers, and maybe not for total excellence, it's either Willie Davis, Bill Russell, or... Pee Wee Reese. Pee Wee Reese. Okay. And so Pee Wee Reese, Hall of Famer, eleven seasons of four wins with the Dodgers. Yeah, I, I guess because he he was always one of the he's always one of the he's one of those classic should he actually be in the Hall of Fame kind of guys. Yes. Um. Yeah. And so I assumed that maybe he didn't actually get to four all that often. So that surprises me a little bit. His name definitely he, came up a lot, and he, my guess he was he was steady Eddie basically. Like mm-hmm. he was like the rock for that forever. Um, and the other ones are. Ron Say, Willie Davis, which we mentioned, and Jackie Robinson had seven years of four wins. So Turner's going to be in that group with like six more. That's only one, two, three, four, five. It's eight players so far, and then it will be nine with Turner. And the who's so, who of who do we still right. think of decades, decades, decades after they've played as just right. pinnacle Dodgers. And that's the thing, like um, like uh, Mike Piazza, you know, was traded away, so he didn't he he didn't get there because of that. Um, he had four seasons. Um, and it's clearly like, you know, he would have probably got there, but that's you, being here is showing up is like the a main component of this. And Turner's definitely shown up, but also where I think he sort of um, uh, like sort of sets his bar, at least in, a, in the franchise lore, he's one of, if you look at this era, right, they're going to end up, they're going to win seven straight divisions. They've gone to at least two world series. They're favored to go this year. I think um, if you just look historically, there's been like three anchors and it's Kershaw, Kenley Jansen, and basically Justin Turner. Mm-hmm. Like those are, those are the big three, right? No, whenever and, we uh, get it, you and I get a question about the hall of fame, Kershaw's the easy answer. And then I think, well, who's going to, what's, I, I even forget, what's this new reign of honor or whatever they, they do. Oh, right. Legends of Dodger baseball. Yeah. It, Justin Turner is easily the first name because he, he's not going to make the hall of fame, but he right. is the face of this team. He's the leader he's, of this team. Of this era, yes. not just this team, this era of, of Dodger baseball. He's a prime candidate for Legends of Dodger baseball. Uh, his postseason numbers, 313, 420, 503. Um, he's the all-time franchise leader uh, with 30 runs batted in in the postseason. He's third with seven home runs. Um, so he's played 49 games. Uh, he's tied with a few others. Uh, I think Andre Ethier is one of the ones with 49. <laughs> this, still, this still blows my mind. It's going to be past this year, but... Uh, all time. Do you remember who the all time postseason games played leader is for the Dodgers? I, you've, I've, I've gotten this question wrong before, and I'm going to get it wrong again. It's Yasiel Puig, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which, is, which is just wonderful. Um, but so Duke Snyder, all of his games were in the World Series, obviously because the game was different. He played in 36 games, but he had 11 home runs, which is very impressive. 26 RBIs, so more per game, but not not as many as Turner. Steve Garvey. He played in 45 games like that. I know like the, the postseason is different now with more rounds and stuff. But and Garvey had the LCS, but it was a five game LCS back then. He played in 45 postseason games with the Dodgers. Like it just shows you that that's a lot of games like because the Dodgers, they they keep going to the postseason 
and they played a lot of games, but like so did the, the Dodgers of the seventies too. And then that 81 team. So uh, Garvey hit 10 home runs in the postseason, had 22 RBIs. So those are like the big sort of three uh, production wise uh, in the postseason. And yeah, so Turner definitely underrated, I think. Uh, but yeah, he'll be looked upon very, very fondly um, once his career's over. All right. Running out of time. We're going to get through these next two quick. You ready? Yep. This is now the fifth straight season of eight or more Dodgers with 10 or more home runs. This is notable because prior to 2015, it had only been done four times in Dodger franchise history. So here's the question. Four Dodgers are within three home runs of hitting their 10th home run. David Freeze, Chris Taylor, AJ Pollock, or Matt Beatty. Who will be next? Okay, so uh, okay, so the Freeze is the closest, but he's also not going to be back till September. Chris Taylor and Kiki Hernandez both scheduled to like return Tuesday. Uh, he's at eight. AJ Pollock's at eight. So th- there's going to be a bit of a roster crunch. My answer is going to be Chris Taylor, by the way. Uh, Matt Beatty has seven. Um, but so they're going to activate Taylor and Kike presumably on Tuesday. The easy option is Kyle Garlick gets sent back to AAA. You could option Matt Beatty, but they you know they definitely like him as a pinch hitting option and like Christopher Negron becomes a little bit redundant, but at the same same time, you really have to be confident in the health of um, Taylor and Kike, I think, because the Negron's here because he could play short and play all over, and like they don't necessarily need him. Um, you think he? Uh, what do you think the likelihood of Christopher Negron getting a little bit of neck tightness? Right, right. So I was saying, that, so that's the option. Like you could designate him for assignment and then probably lose him, but maybe unlikely. But he, he could have the, the mysterious back injury that requires exactly 12 days of rehab, and uh, he'll be just fine on September 1st. Or A.J. Pollock's been dealing with a groin injury. He has been hitting, but he's been playing like maybe every other day, but then also getting replaced in those games, and he can't really run. So maybe now, now that you have Taylor and Kiki back, who could both play outfield and infield, uh, maybe Pollock's the guy you put on the DL to to sort of keep Negron around because you're going to have him for depth. You want him for depth in September as a just in case option, I think. Um, so uh, I think that's probably what they do, but it, it's a guess. But uh, it, for me, it, it makes it more likely that Taylor's going to be the next guy to hit ten. AJ Pollock is my answer. <laughs> final question, except not the final question. How many different starting pitchers will the Dodgers use in the 16-game straight stretch they have starting on Tuesday, and who will they be? Okay, so this is easier for me because so the, of that 16 games, the 12 of those are in, in August, and then it goes, stretches into the first four days of September. Um, and Stripling's not going to be back till S- September. Um, Dustin May is basically working out of the bullpen now. Gonsolin's in the rotation. I think They've been sort of trying to figure out what to do there. I think they use six in these 16 games, and it's just the regular six. Like, it's your big three of Ryu, Kershaw, Bueller, and then Maeda, Gonsolin, and then May. I think they may might slot in, even if it's a bullpen game type start, just to sort of give everyone an extra day during that 16 days like they like to do. But, yeah, I don't think that there's really any other um, candidate really to start at this point. I think the only other candidate would be if they wanted to, for whatever matchup reasons, do a different opener on a bullpen game. I think that would yeah. be the only other option. But and I still think we'd be at six because probably Dustin May would I agree. be in the bullpen. I think the yeah. number is right. It's just the who that six yeah. could be could could change. All right. I agree. The actual final question. Right. 
Food question. Moving yeah. the food question. Oh, you're right. We did we didn't do move it up. Sorry, Greg. With the Yankees in town, here's a sandwich question. Before going to a game this weekend, do you get a pastrami sandwich from one of the fine delis like Laners or Cantors? Do you go full LA and get a French dip from Philippe's? Or maybe, and this is Greg Craig is correct in his guess, Jacob would go to a place near where he worked in Santa Monica, Bay City's deli for a godmother. I've been okay, talking so about this with my wife. Uh, my wife. I have not found a Italian sandwich anywhere close. And not, not that I find, expect to get one as good, but at least maybe in the ballpark uh, as the godmother at Bay Cities. And I haven't. I miss it. I just, it's so, so good. Um, I It's probably one of the first things I'm going to have except for an after in and out when I get back in L.A. Uh, later in September. Yeah, uh, so we were talking about this before. Um, I think, now that I think about it, I think I've been to Cantor's. I feel, it, I, so Cantor's yeah. is one of those places where the food is fine, but you are more going yeah. for the its location on Fairfax and its ambiance and its, yeah. and the fact that it's open 24 hours. But, so it's, but I it's, haven't been to Langer's. So, but Laner, and so the answer, if you want to be a full... It really, if you, this is just what sandwich do you want the most, Godmother's my answer. But if you want to really stick it to the Yankee fans that are going to show up, you can go to Laner's, get a number 19, and get the actual best pastrami in the world, which isn't oh. at Katz. I've had I've had Katz, I've had Schwartz's in Montreal, and I've had Laner's. Laner's is the best. I like it. Um, so the Philippe's is, is the most likely option, I think, that I would do. Um just Location-wise, it's the easiest, yeah. However, someone, I was asking a question about Dodger Dogs on Twitter Day, and that got a ton of responses. But um, <laughs> someone also mentioned to me just in passing that um, there's a place on on Spring Street. I think it's Spring and, like, 6th. Um, um, or it's actually right near, uh, maybe not 6th, but it's off of Cesar Chavez and Spring. It's near Philippe's. It's called Spring Street Smokehouse. And I looked, and it like, looks like a pretty good place. So I think... I think I might try that this weekend. Um, so maybe I, I'm going outside the box on this one. And it, it fits the criteria of me not uh, not going out of my way at all. And it's like perfectly <laughs> on my route to the stadium. So well, you I think and, I might do that. When I'm in L.A., one of these, I'm going to be in L.A. September, once in September, once in October, and once in December. Mm-hmm. You and I are going to get some pastrami, and your life is going to change. I'm busy. No, I'm wow. just kidding. That's, wow. that's, that's, that sounds good. Yeah, are you saying uh, pastrami cures all ills? I do. No? All right, well, that's perfect. Uh, Everyone go out there and have a pastrami sandwich, and we'll talk to you next week.